1: Welcome to My Third Eye, prying open your thought, truth, and reality, questioning everything and anything from conspiracies, cryptic, spiritual, natural healing, and everything else there is to encounter. Everything we think is not real, just might be real. Welcome welcome to My Third Eye. Alright, welcome back to another episode of My Third Eye. Uh, I have a big announcement to make, and uh, I have to give a, a... special shout out because um this person is the first one to you know reach out and subscribe to my patreon that's right i now have a patreon it's patreon.com forward slash my third eye i started a five dollar tier okay that's less than a gallon of gas these days i know times are tough but five dollars for a month right now um, what I am offering on there is all of the talk at the taverns. I have taken them off the public free feed and have put them onto Patreon. So I got to give a cra- shout out to Chris James. You know, thank you for your support, and I look forward to having many others uh, jump on and and support talk at the tavern. And down the road, um, I have some ideas floating around in my head on what I also would like to put on that five dollar tier so we're just getting started over there that little bit of money can you know go towards maybe a new mixer microphone who knows you know just new equipment down the road and you know they, they do take a little bit to, to produce um you know a five almost six hour episode. so having said that i just got to say thank you again chris and now moving on to housekeeping make sure you go and get your curcumin follow Kelly Fitzshizzle on Instagram or you can go to kellyjoywellness.com and I always put all her links in the show notes so there's nothing to worry you don't have to write anything down right now and um like I said the stuff is amazing it's helped me uh no pain inflammation's gone all over my body even places I didn't even really know I had inflammation and uh yeah I, I can't I can't support this product enough um, I'd also like to uh, let you know if you have any ideas for, for shows, um, content, you know, what you'd like to hear, email me, mythirdiepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Uh Go to Telegram. Uh, the channel's grown slowly. And what did I, I wanted to, uh, Yeah, uh, lately uh, the chats have been good in there. So uh, go to t.me forward slash my third eye pod um i'm on twitter my third eye podcast and facebook uh but make sure you go to youtube as well hit that like and subscribe button the more subs i get eventually um, i can grow that even more Uh, but i want to thank everybody that's supported me over there so far Uh, i love you i love you i love you I i can't thank you enough but my third eye podcast on youtube now, having said that, this episode, we're going to get a little esoteric with Esoteric Eddie. Uh, we're going to go down the uh, the origins of his book and uh, where, who he thinks uh, Satan really might be. So sit back, enjoy. Thank you again for all the love and support. And don't forget to go to patreon.com forward slash my third eye podcast. Sign up for five dollars. You won't be disappointed. Thank you again. gentlemen welcome i have esoteric eddie on tonight and we are going to talk about the lucifer mystery revealed which is his book that he wrote um i'm sure if you're hearing him on this podcast you've probably already heard him on the red pill cartel and a few others um that i run with on you know on a on a daily basis you know some of my friends and what have you so uh having said that uh coming to us from the the west west coast and the sunny coast i i take it because they're having good weather, and today we're having good weather, which is weird for this time of year. It hit almost seventy. So, um, I, I'm gonna stop talking and give you esoteric Eddie.
2: Hello, hello, <laughs> Namaste. Hope everybody's doing all right. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely, thank you for coming. Do you have anything that you want to uh, plug your plug your book and plug where people can find you first, and then we'll we'll, we'll do it again at the end. But j- just in case, you know, people want to hear it yeah. right out the gate
2: absolutely so i'm esoteric eddie Uh, you can find me on instagram at esoteric eddie post a lot of content on there that's uh, exclusive to that you know uh, platform and then you can also find my videos and documentaries on uh, youtube at esoteric eddie tv and i also do have a bit shoot under esoteric eddie that i use for like backups and also exclusive content nice nice yeah i just
1: recently well not recently a couple months ago started putting some of my, uh, my episodes on, on YouTube. Um, so it, eventually maybe this one will get there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm growing it slowly. Uh, I, I did one. The first one I did, uh, was my really good friend who from, he he's from England. He, he did a presentation called lines of destiny. And it's basically kind of about the history that we were told is a complete and utter lie. And it, it ended up being like a, just about a four hour episode but I haven't released the audio yet, but man, the video had, has gotten for someone like me. I mean, it, it's gotten a lot of love, you know, it, it's got like yeah. 5,000 over five, almost 6,000 views. And I was just Jeez. like, Holy cow. I'm like, I, I, I would have never fathomed that. You know what I mean? Just yeah, <laughs> from
2: one interview, but
1: it, yeah. So hopefully I got to check
2: that out, man. Yeah. Check that
1: out. It, it's kind of right up your, your alley. And he, 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 he starts at new Grange, which is older than, uh, stonehenge and he moves mm. moves outward from there all the way over to you know the middle east egypt and everything and comes across some uh uh what basically the the lines of of destiny and everything else but, yeah it's pretty cool so
2: definitely gonna check that out i love that kind of stuff heck yeah so uh so what got you into uh wanting to write a book all right so um, <clears throat> well i've been researching the occult esoteric and uh, conspiratorial for over 10 years, Uh, got into it at an early age, basically from the ages of 12 to 14, I was going through a lot of different paradigm shifts, um, getting into psychedelics, um, just certain music that was opening my mind and reading and researching a lot of stuff at that time. And so from that point forward, my life has always been revolving around that research. And I have different skill sets. Um, I, I like to do graphic designing, um, I've always had a background in music, but writing has always been a passion of mine since I was like in elementary school. Actually, uh, first time I realized that I had a power for writing was uh, when I won a contest in fourth grade for um, the best fictional writing, uh, fictional story. That's it was like nice. a funny sci-fi story.
1: That's awesome. But uh, I know I don't have yeah. the time or the vocabulary to write a book that I struggled with that in school, you know, having to write like a short story or, or something, you know, off the top of my head. And I just, it just wasn't in me, you know what I mean? I'm creative in other ways, but I, I just, I did not have that in me. And I, and I admire people that, that do like, you know, such as yourself. Um, I do struggle with, uh, you know, trying to sit down and read a book, you know, cause you know, doing a podcast and working full time, you know, it's just hard. So I, I, I gotta, I gotta start downloading some audiobooks and, and listen to it that way because I'm fortunate enough that I can either a listen to an audio book or a podcast while I'm at work. But, um, do you have plans on putting yours into audio form at all? Uh,
2: kind of actually, um, I got an offer from somebody to, to do so. And it's just kind of like a financial thing at this point. Right. I have to like set the money aside to do it. It's not much, but it's just, I got other priorities before yeah. I start getting into, you know, putting money towards that. But yeah, eventually that'd be cool. But no, I hear you, man. Like, uh, when I was, I was never, I was always an introvert growing up, you know, I was never really into sports and stuff like that. So, and I was never really good at math or science. So I excelled at like writing and, and, and reading. Cause like, that's where I could really shine as, you know, as a person and with my creativity. But, uh, so I always had that going on and then, um, Throughout my life, about know, teens to early twenties, I had made different attempts as an artist to uh, express and present, uh, express and present, you know, the information that I had. I went through variations of different names and and artist aliases. But uh, right around the year, uh, the age of 25, which was two years ago for me, two to three years ago for me, um, I decided to kind of revamp myself as an artist and a scholar. And then that's when I dropped like Esoteric Eddie and Esoteric Eddie TV. And then I decided to. Uh, I'll write the lucifer mystery revealed around that time um it was actually my second book i wrote i published my first book back in 2018 but it wasn't a success i never had it professionally edited so it, it wasn't a success so i took everything revamped it and came back out with this book and ever since i dropped it it's just i've uh, been on a wave things have been um successful this time around good g- g-
1: gaining some good traction then i take it yeah absolutely that's awesome that, 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 i'm proud of you man that that that's awesome because. Like I said, I, could, I can't do it. Um, so and that's why I have a podcast. I have, to have people like you come on and blow my mind, open my third eye and, 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 you know, my my listeners and everybody else, you know, just to get a different outlook on on, on what we've been taught, what, how we think, what we're told to think, and e- even obviously down to religion. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. think, you know, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but religion's been corrupted for for thousands of years you know either by you know Constantine or or you know King James or whoever you know and, and that's just Christianity I mean you you can take that with uh, Judaism and, and Islam I'm sure it, it went through the same you know corruption and and retellings to to fit a certain narrative so
2: yeah man religion is the corruption yes <laughs> you know but no I feel you I mean I grew up in a in a Christian home, Christian and Catholic. So I understand that point of view. And for a time in my life, I was a bit indoctrinated in in that institution, mostly through the fear aspect of it. You know, growing up, I was fearful about like the devil and hell and demons and that whole stuff. But the Bible and the stories intrigued me. And um, once I started looking into like conspiratorial things and started realizing that the government was lying to us about certain things and that our history was taught to us with a certain narrative. then then eventually I got into the religious side of it and then um, just kind of took off from there and saw how all of it kind of ties in. And uh, the book that I published, The Lucifer Mystery Revealed, it's, it's an academic perspective on the historicity of Lucifer within the church and the occult. So I try to write it as dry cut as possible just to present some facts that I thought were unique and useful for anybody on this journey to truth. And basically what I do in the book is I I take you through a journey uh, and show you how the concept of Lucifer has progressed from its inception and onward.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cause I, it's been, it's been probably close to 15 or plus years that I read the Bible cover to cover and you don't, you don't see Lucifer or Satan mentioned maybe more than three times if that in the whole entire Bible. Uh, but yet, it's it's been brought to f- this big focus and and fear that if you don't do this, you're going to be punished. You know, if you don't do this, you're, you're going to hell. And it's like, well, I, I understand wh- kind of how they're coming at it, but at the at the end of the day, it's like, well, why would I want to worship a God out of fear, uh, in hopes to go to a place that 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 has great, you know? Endings and what have you, and if I don't do that, I'm I'm gonna burn in a lake of fire and 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 brimstone, and it's like it it never really made all that much sense to me.
2: Yeah, and there's a reason for that. A lot of uh, what the pastors or priests or televangelists are you know up there preaching and and shouting at us is really their own. It's their own version of it. It's their own um, you know motive. And the motive is always the same you know it's just keeping keeping people in seats you know mm-hmm. and, and funding that money towards their church and the organization because that's their job i mean you rarely find any priest or you know who's doing it for free no. right i mean that's their job so they need to get paid they need to feed their family too so um uh, it's just, just we're caught in this um vicious cycle of corruption you know and uh So what I found, I guess we can kind of just get into it as far as the the subject matter of the book, and we can go from there. Let's do it. Um, But I do mention uh, some corruption within the church and like the Inquisition, and we might get into that later. But what I found when I started researching the historicity of Lucifer was fascinating, and before I started writing the book, I kind of already knew who Lucifer really was, Um, and most people in in the truth community uh, kind of you know, assume, guess who that is, you know, speculate who that is, and, and I'll review that, you know, later on. And, but, uh so I already knew who Lucifer was, but I just wanted to put all the pieces of evidence together so that I could put it in a book. But I, I stumbled upon a lot of things that I didn't know. Now, so like you mentioned, Lucifer is actually only uh, used once in the King James Bible, the English version. And it's used in Isaiah 14, 12, which is a famous Oh, Lucifer, how art thou fallen, etc. cetera. Um, but how it got there is interesting. So we went through a progression of translations starting from the Hebrew to the Greek, to the Latin, and then to the English. Now, originally in, in the Hebrew, where we would see Lucifer today, Lucifer, son of the morning, we would see Hallel Ben-Shahar. Hallel uh, was a name for a specific Old old world deity, an old Canaanite deity, which I'll get into. And then Ben, of course, is you know uh, Hebrew for sun. So it's Hillel, son of Shahar and Shahar was also the name of an old Canaanite deity, but Shahar uh, means it's a, the dawn or morning, right? So that's where we get the Lucifer, son of the morning. Hillel, although it was a name, the meaning of the name is, is bright. So it's like naming somebody bright or shiny, right? and then so from the hebrew we went to the uh sorry the greek and in the greek where we would see lucifer we would see phosphorus which is a proper translation that means you know bright it can mean fire and then in the latin is where we first see the word lucifer because lucifer is a latin word comprising of two root words loose or lux light and then which means to bring or to hold which is where the occult Got their idea of Lucifer being being the light bearer. Um, but in the Latin, Lucifer was used multiple times and it was used as a lowercase um, adjective. And then once we went to the English, it got translated improperly as a pronoun or name with an uppercase in the famous Isaiah 1412 verse. Now, a couple of other things that uh make it more interesting are that when Isaiah, the excuse me, the, the prophet and scribe who was writing this wrote it, he wasn't writing about a specific deity. He was actually writing um, some polemical prophecies uh, against the Babylonian kings, because Isaiah was writing this around 600 BC, right around the time that the Babylonians were coming down on Judea to take them captive. So he was prophesizing and um, insulting and condemning these Babylonian kings through his metaphorical language, saying that um, eventually they would meet their downfall. And he used an old world uh, story or tale and some metaphors. So in the in the 30s, we uncovered um, some old Canaanite texts by the name of the Baal Cycle Text. And in those texts, we see um, different stories in, of the uh, Canaanite god Baal, right? Because in the old world, prior to Judaism being the, mon- the, the monotheistic religion that we know of it as today in its early formation, its pre-exilic, Formation. It was borrowing from the old world of polytheism of polytheism, and in that uh, old world pantheon, we had El, who was at the head of that pantheon, and then Baal was kind of like a, a an also a superior deity, and in so in these Baal cycle texts that we found, we see Baal journeying, doing all these different things, just kind of like setting up his dominion for power because um, the Babylonians would uphold him as like the new God and all the old gods who kind of get, kind of just get like washed away. But in one tale in particular, we see um, Hillel, the deity that uh, Isaiah mentioned. He's not known as Hillel in those texts, but he's known as Ahtar. And we know it's Hillel because Ahtar is the son of Shahar in those texts. And Ahtar is actually represented um, by the planet Venus which is another um, layer to this whole Lucifer thing that Isaiah was, was mentioning. Because Hillel means bright, but it can also mean Venus, just as Ahtar can, uh, is represented by Venus. And Ahtar is a later male version of the Astarte, or Ishtar, or Sumerian Inanna, whom all were also represented by Venus. And Venus, as we know, is uh, the brightest celestial object in the sky preceding the sun. So what Isaiah was saying is to the Babylonian kings is that um, you are like Hillel, you are like Astar. And uh, the reason being is because in one of the Baal cycle texts, we see Baal step down from his throne and then the gods conversing as to who's gonna rule in his stead. And uh, Astar or Hillel decides to step up to the, the uh, opportunity. And he tries to sit on the throne, but in the text, he realizes he's literally too short for the throne. Mm -hmm. He's not fit to rule. So he steps down and then goes back to doing what he does. So Isaiah is using all these metaphors of Ahtar not being fit to rule, but also Hillel, meaning Venus, which is the brightest celestial object in the sky preceding the sun and and saying that the Babylonians are like this. They are like Venus. They're like Ahtar, thinking that there's something of importance. But the sun um, will soon overshadow them.
1: Now, the question I have, um, and you've probably been asked it before. I, I, I don't know. Um, like I said, I've, I've only ever listened to your interviews on, on my friend's podcasts. you know, Matt T from the Great Deception, um, Red, Red Pill Cartel, and a couple others. But uh, why would you associate, okay, Satan or Lucifer as someone bad yet He's supposed to be the morning star, someone bright, someone shining, someone. If you if you describe somebody in 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 that way to me as a simple simpleton, that would mean oh this guy must be of something great. You know what I mean? You, you, they're not describing him of doom and gloom and 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 this and that. You know he's a bright morning star. He's he's Venus before the sun even rises and and everything else. So how how did it get? How did it get construed to you
2: know he, he's this evil evil dude yeah great question um so of course isaiah when he isaiah was the cause of all of this initially right because he wrote the hillel ben shahar verse and that which eventually got translated to lucifer but again he was using that as a metaphor towards the babylonian kings you know prophesizing their downfall but um as uh, the early church was forming in the Western world, you know they, some of them were some of the early philosophers and church fathers were, were looking at these texts and trying to understand them. And uh, one of them in particular was Oregon Adamantius. Oregon Adamantius, he was uh, in the second century um, common era. He's considered one of the earliest church philosophers and fathers and he was later deemed a heretic for his ideas for some of his ideas. And he was one of the first people that we can um, see that wrote about Lucifer. And uh, I have a quote here from his book called uh, De Principis, written in the second century common era, saying that we are taught as follows by the prophet Isaiah regarding another opposing power who formerly was Lucifer. He might show by this that he had been at one time in heaven and had enjoyed a share in that light, which all the saints participate. So here, Oregon, Oregon Adamantius is starting to set up the idea um, that Satan might have been one of God's angels by the name of Lucifer, who was later um, who later fell and became disheveled. Now, uh, a lot other church fathers, though, uh, or church philosophers saw this and knew it was an error. For example, uh, the Protestant reformer Calvin, in the sixth century, wrote about this mistranslation, and I have a quote here, and I'll just read one part of it. He said he's saying that um, the whole. What does he say here? He says it was an a gross ignorance to imagine that Lucifer was the king of the devils, and that the prophet Isaiah gave him this name. But as these inventions have no probability whatsoever. Let us pass by them as useless fables. So throughout the church, you have some people who, who looked at the Isaiah verse and said, oh, wow, like this, this is profound. You know, Isaiah is telling us that there is this character named Lucifer. He must have been an angel who fell down and is now transformed into the devil. And then you have other people in the church that saw this anew. It was a translational error like Calvin. And uh, so over time, I think they both the devil and Lucifer kind of just got lumped up into this one character. We, we kind of weave the narrative and in the church, they use different verses in the Bible to kind of like create this concept of narrative. Like there are certain verses in the Bible that talk about um, all of God's angels are in the heavens and they sing. So some people say, Oh, Lucifer was the angel of music. You know, you hear that a lot. So people take, take these little tidbits, verses throughout the Bible and, and kind of put them together to weave this storyline of Lucifer being this beautiful angel who fell down and then became Satan. But the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. It's not an actual story. It's just a concept that we've constructed. Right.
1: And, and you talk to different Christians and and they'll say, Oh, he was the most beautiful angel, you know, in heaven. Yet he's always depicted as this, this horned demon looking creature and it's like where are you guys getting all this because that's what i where i really struggled when i when you know and, and at at one time you know i guess once you're saved you're always saved if you, if you believe in that um i i did accept that i was baptized in in the middle of january in the susquehanna river um here in pennsylvania however my journey in the past few years after getting into podcasts and hearing different uh ideas and and uh, research such as your own, I begin to question where I am. You know, I, I am more into spirituality, but I haven't gone a hundred percent into that. Um I'm I'm kind of teetering on the lines of like heathenry with uh N- Norse pagan you know, myth- mythology and what have you and you go back to the Bible and you hear you you hear other people um break down revelation and it, to try and take that book literally is you can't. Um, And then you hear some people say, well, that was written um, when Nero was the, the emperor of Rome and he was writing about, you know, of the time and, and and everything else. Is that something that you found kind of in, in,
2: in your research as well? Yeah, absolutely. From what I understand, uh, John, was writing about two different things. And the way it was put to me was the first half is about his time, it's a a coded message about his time and the Roman empire. And then the second half was a prophecy basically of him, I guess, prophesizing or speculating at the very least about what this current new world order that was forming in his day would attempt to do in the future.
1: That makes that makes that makes sense. You know what I mean. Um, I don't. I don't know. I just don't get why why there's so much confusion purposely put on put on the Bible itself. You know what I mean. And and yeah. I have I have family members. You know, my dad listens. He's he's a Christian and what have you. And um, I you know if this if this offends you, dad, I'm I'm sorry, but you know I'm just on it on, on a different path. And and if at the end of the day, you know that helps you be a better person and gives you you hope. For for an afterlife, so be it. I I don't care. I don't care if you you believe in Islam. I don't care. You know whatever. You know or don't believe in anything. You believe in a. a you worship the moon. Who cares if that gives you comfort? You know what I mean. Um, I, I yeah. It
2: all fascinates me. Yeah, I know. I feel like I, I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, sometimes when I do my work, I feel a little guilty. You know, um, mostly from like my grandma and some you know some of my elders. But I gotta speak my truth, you know, and I'm I'm here to just to present uh knowledge from an academic perspective. Not, you know, so I gotta be integrity to what I find as a scholar. But um I, I like your approach where it's like whatever works for you, you know, I guess that's what works for you. But what's interesting is well, what's interesting is um and before I get into that, I'll just like to say that um a lot of what we're facing when it comes to the the uh, complexities or misunderstandings of religion are just human error mm-hmm. like this whole lucifer thing is just it was literally a translational error and then the, the early philosophers looking at this error and then speculating and coming up with their own psychedelic reasonings behind it like oregon adamantius and then it, that just propelling even more and more and then we end up today where we have tv shows called lucifer and yeah. it's about you know, so it's like, and he's portrayed as a good guy.
1: Yeah. And that's you know what I mean. Cause my, my quote. wife and I watched that and for years when it came out, at, you know, and this was before I even started really listening to podcasts and way before I even started mine, I was like, I was really hesitant to, um, watch the show because of my upbringing in the Christian religion. I was like, man, that, that that's blasphemy. You know, why are they, you know, why is Hollywood portraying it? And one day, my wife and I were like, let's just sit down and give it a chance. And I'm sitting there with my, my mind blown. I'm like, they're, they're portraying him in a good way. And I get where they're coming from because he's the light bearer. He's the bringer of light. And then that, ju- that, I think right around that time is when my beliefs really, I started questioning myself hard because it wow. made me look into other things. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was, to me, it was a very good show
2: yeah yeah our world is just run off of you know entertainment Mm -hmm. and and all that stuff so things tend to move where the popular culture goes right so like for example one of the people who helped popularize the idea of Lucifer was like Dante Alighieri with his Inferno and also um Milton's lost Paradise I actually took a language arts class in college and um, we had to like analyze Uh, Lost Paradise and and uh, analyze how it uh, influenced the entertainment industry later on. Because apparently Milton's Lost Paradise was one of the first like anti-hero stories. And uh, in today, in in old media, like, I don't know, 50s and 60s, apparently, you know, heroes were heroes. They were good guys all through and through. It was easy to distinguish the good guys from the bad guys. But later on, media started to get kind of like, start to blend the, the lines between good and bad. And then we see like a, a, an influx of all these anti-hero characters. And apparently in the language arts class that I took, our teacher was showing us how all this anti, anti-heroism stems from Milton's um, Lost Paradise. Um, so again, things tend to move where like the pop culture goes. So things that are just provocative and, and influential, You know, mythology starts to get built up around those things. Communities start to get built up around those things. And then sometimes that starts to even change history in the course of history and the way we view it. For example, the Lucifer translational error, you know, it was just a translational error, but then it became popularized and people were fascinated by it. And like, oh, my gosh, there's this being out there, Lucifer. And here we are today. But um, what I also wanted to say was that uh, you know this is a small world that we live on everything's connected so um to have that kind of guilt of of wanting to look into things because we come from a certain you know traditional background be it christian or whatever um can be pretty you know uh, hindering right to our to our, our growth process because um, i have studied islam for example i study everything that i can it's just part of my job as a scholar but I've studied Islam, and what I found interesting that I think even the Christian community can appreciate is I believe that, uh, that Islam and Christianity have a lot of similarities when it comes to the end times, right? It's like the Christians talk about end times, and the Muslims also talk about the end times. And most Christians don't even know that, that Jesus is in the Quran. You know, Jesus is mentioned in the Quran. He's looked at as a, a very highly regarded figure and that the Qur'an and both Christianity, the Bible, share a similar patriarch. They both see Abraham as their patriarchal um, father. Right. Um, and what's interesting about the end times in Islam is that uh, they also talk about an antichrist and that his name in the, in the Qur'an is the, the Dajjal. And what I thought was kind of crazy is that the Dajjal in the Qur'an is supposed to have one eye. Mm. so i'm kind of like kind like of like illuminati not thor
1: but uh uh odin. odin odin had odin had one eye but he yeah there's a connection there yeah i mean he supposedly sacrificed that for for knowledge and what have you but but he is the all-father and if you talk to you know i had benjamin balderson on on my show and he he enlightened me on 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 some of this as well as uh, stein fox um he's into it as well but uh you know being the all-father he's not just he's not the only he's not the only high god like he he can be mischievous he can be evil he can be good you know what i mean so it's it's yeah. very confusing but um yeah, uh,
2: yeah. well because a lot of times we view characters in the bible or deities as like video game characters like they're just programmed to be this list of attributes mm-hmm. you know like like Horus. you know god of the of the air or something right. you know like we just like we view these people, these beings as like just, yeah, video game characters with set attributes. but if they're real beings, if they were real beings, they're just like us. you know they they have human nature. they change, they have attitudes, they have emotions. Uh, and that's apparent when we actually read a lot of the old world texts that these gods were just like us, and a lot of some of their downfalls were were pitiful downfalls that any you know human might find, right. Now, having looked into
1: many different religions um, that you have, do you find any correlation with even just the Bible or Islam or any of these religions um, associated more with maybe astrotheology or a farmer's almanac type of, of view? And that's what they were originally just written down for instead of belief in a, a you know maybe a higher being, and maybe that's what it got translated into later?
2: Yeah, I, I have uh, studied astrotheology not in depth. It's uh, something that I plan on doing later. Uh, my work is primarily just mapping out <clears throat> the mythologies and seeing if there's any truth in those. And kind of car- comparative mythology is mostly what I study and, and, and write about. But I'm familiar with astrotheology um, primarily through Jordan Maxwell. He does a good job of do, of uh, presenting that, and of course Santos Bonacci. Bonacci. Yes, but yeah, I mean that's that's fascinating, man. And I've yet to touch that because I know once I do, it's going to like shatter everything else. <laughs> I know it
1: shattered my mind when when it was presented to me, and I haven't done a deep dive. I've listened to a, you know a few you know lectures and, and and what have you. But again, that's another route that makes sense. Yeah, you yeah, have twelve disciples. You have twelve zodiac
2: signs. You know, I mean, it's just all interconnected yeah i think there's there's a lot of truth to that and um as as humans right on this planet i mean the environment it means everything to us you know so it makes sense for our ancestors to have mapped out the seasonal changes the celestial changes because that means everything to us that's survival right there yeah so for us to have a tv to watch (laughs) or <laughs> a video exactly. game play. You know what I mean? That that's that was their TV. Yeah, and, and you know we got to be appreciative of that because they've left us behind so much to to gain from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they had so many different ways to hit it, man. Like the the mythology, the astrotheology, the metaphysics, the spiritual, the religious. But they all they're all layers.
1: Hopefully I'm not getting you off off track too much.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's all good, man. Like I, I'm willing to talk about anything. I've been I've been talking about the book for the past couple of months on plenty of podcasts. So, so it's actually pretty, you know, nice to just talk on some other things every now and then.
1: Nice. I yeah, but, you'll catch me. I'll, I'll i write down like if I think of a question, I write it down and then try to hopefully it, you know, I I don't ever intend for it to you well, I do want it to come. To be able to be asked but if it doesn't it doesn't you know what i mean it just all yeah. depends on okay i have a question in my head if it fits into the topic and the conversation yeah i'll ask it but if it doesn't well then i guess it wasn't meant to be
2: yeah i'm an open book too you can ask me anything about nice. my book my personal life my beliefs anything but so but, let's uh, uh
1: let's get back on track
2: <laughs> yeah. I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to mean to get you yeah. off because the the
1: the whole the whole book that you did i I do plan on wanting to dedicate some time to reading it one day. Um, yeah, I have my my daughter gets me books and stuff and I feel bad telling her I'm like, hey, bug, that doesn't really have time to read a lot of books, but I appreciate it. But hopefully one day, you know, I'll, I'll get to it. She went to uh, Pennhurst um, mm. to on a ghost tour and back in December on a night tour and she came back and for a Christmas present, she gave me a book about, about the place and what have you. And I have I've thumbed through it. I just haven't sat myself down and, and devoted the time to, Hey, dumbass, just, just read it. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Cause there's times during the day, you know, you, you have downtime instead of looking on my phone, maybe I should be looking at a book, you know what I mean? But yeah, you know, we're all human.
2: Yeah, no, I, mean, I get you. It's, it's tough. It's tough, but I, uh, I am working on actually putting together a, a documentary on the book kind of explaining it as well That'd be that's awesome gonna come, yeah that's uh set to release later this month so sweet yeah let
1: me know what when you uh when you release that and and we can absolutely we can come back on and, and you know just kind of ha- we don't have to do a long podcast on it but uh you know just highlight it and get it out there and you know i'm sure you make the rounds on on everybody else's podcast yeah. as well to, to do the same but I, I can that's one thing I can do I can sit down and, and watch a documentary you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> but but I don't know I was just never a big book reader I when, when when you're in school and you're it's you have to read this book I had a problem with authority when I was younger I was like don't tell me what to do I'm not reading yeah. this you know what I mean I think I probably yeah. only read I, I read Adolf Huxley's A Brave New World To Kill a Mockingbird and I, that's all I can remember reading in high school. Now I, I did read a book, a couple books since leaving high school. One was Biohazard, which was really good. It was about a defector that came from uh, Kazakhstan and uh, kind of goes to what's going on today with the the bio mm. weapons labs and what have you. And he just breaks down what Russia was working on, you know, with with smallpox and AIDS and and everything else. But it, it, it was a good book. But uh, and and then the Celestine Prophecy series that, that
2: I really enjoyed that one. pretty heavy uh arsenal there yeah some good books to read but uh yeah okay okay so let's see i guess we'll just kind of move through the presentation here sounds good so so yeah so lucifer was a mistranslation Mm -hmm. it was uh perceived as so by the early some of the early church philosophers and then And then the occult eventually got its hands on this concept and then that's when it really kind of blew out of proportions and uh, one of the important figures to bring lucifer into the occult was eliphas levy now eliphas levy I, i say was the bridge between the christian world and the occult because eliphas levy contrary to what people might think was actually a catholic mystic And for those who don't know who he was, he uh, was a a 19th century French occultist, um, one of the most uh, influential classical occultists, so much that um, Crowley believed that he was the reincarnation of Levy. And Crowley actually, I think, was one of the first to translate Levy's works into English. Mm. And Blavatsky, uh, one of the co-founders of the Theosophical Movement or Society, always regarded levy as one of her authorities on information and wisdom and levy also was the illustrator of the famous baphomet image okay
1: that's why that name sounded familiar i'm i'm like that name sounds really familiar and yeah now that makes sense yeah
2: so he was behind that and of course that image has been used by the cults and all kinds of different industries even like the skateboard industry and stuff and the rock and roll industry and It's been used by the it's been used by the Christian um, community to demonize the occult, like look at this Baphomet. But uh, Levy drew it up not to be like some satanic image. He tells you exactly what it is. Not only was he an occultist and a prolific writer, but he was also a pretty good illustrator. And he he drew up that image as as a way to symbolize the different attributes to mysticism it was a symbol for the duality of nature. So in in the image, you see the beast, which is our lower vibrational self. And then you see the flame, which is supposed to be our soul. So it's just an image containing different symbolisms about life and the journey towards Ascension. But, uh, so Levy, he's got a, a wild story. I have a documentary on him on Esoteric Eddie TV and, uh, he left uh, a well-to-do career in the Catholic Church as a priest to go study mysticism and become an occultist. And after doing so, his mom committed suicide Mm. and uh, he just had a hard life. He was homeless for a while and was jailed a couple of times for his writings and all this stuff, but later on prevailed. And uh, he wrote about Lucifer. That's what I'm eventually getting at. And, And he was an educated guy, so he wasn't fooled by the, the mistranslation. He knew that it was a mistranslation. He knew that there really never was a Lucifer, but he found um, potency inside the philosophy of Lucifer. So he, he, he looked at the philosophy and the concept, and just like the rest of the occultists after him, found you know some significance in the philosophy behind it. So, so he bridged that gap between the church and the occult, and then brought that over, and then the Luciferian doctrine started to take hold, which uh, of course is is that the idea that uh, Lucifer was benevolent, mm-hmm. that Lucifer took a risk, that he took a, that he made a sacrifice to leave his heavenly abode, and to to give us knowledge.
1: That's crazy. Um, there's a name that's popping to my mind, uh, Anton Lavey. Um, did he? Did he follow
2: um, Levy's work at all as well
1: or not?
2: Anton LeVay. So he was the founder of uh, the Church of Satan Mm -hmm. and wrote the the Satanic Bible. And I get into him a little bit in the book. And what's interesting about him, he came later, right? Like the 70s, 1970s, Levy was uh, um, late 1800s. But Levy in the Satanic Bible opens up kind of like, insulting and condemning all of the classical occultists even crowley and levy and he's and what he says he basically says that they're that they are opposers he says that they're lame because in in one way they're like upholding luciferian ideals and and leaning towards the the left-hand path of uh you know free will and, and but yet they're still tied to Christianity. So he's kind of saying that Levy is like a poser, like he's not committing fully to the left-hand path by just doing away with, with Christ and God. So, so LaVey, um, did the extreme by just cutting himself off from God and not, you know, being of the light at all. And just portraying himself as of strictly of the dark path. Okay. And that's weird how, how you bring, you bring it back
1: to, of the light. And then who's first the, the morning star, Uh, but you know.
2: Yeah. And what's interesting uh, in the book of revelations, this is where some people like kind of threw their hands up and thought there was something weird going on in the book of revelations. Jesus says that he is the morning star. Well, I just said in the book of revelation, in the book of revelation, uh, there is a, there's a, a place where Jesus states that I am the morning star. Well, isn't that really confusing? Yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> if you were to have, have read that in the, in the Latin, you would read, I am Lucifer. Right. So it's like, but that didn't get translated over, you know, that they left it as something. I'm not sure what they left it as in the King James Bible. It might've just been son of the morning or something. But, uh, but again, it's because, these are metaphors. Jesus wasn't saying, yo, I'm Lucifer, but some people took that as like for face value. So there's some people out there that actually believe that Jesus and Lucifer are the same character and that Jesus came to set his sins, um, you know, to set himself correctly, you know, to do, to do away with his original sin of being to write his wrongs. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. To write his wrongs which is cool i mean that's powerful that's powerful philosophy right there
1: yeah for sure um it just (laughs) it just goes into so many mistranslations and confusion just over and over and over and and it's like i kind of look at people nowadays that that change their life and turn it over and start reading the bible and it's like Dude, do you know how many times that's been translated and mistranslated and mistranslated and mistranslated that you're not even getting the original or the correct story of anything. Um just here's the simple the simplest one. They translated uh Yeshua to Jesus. It's like there was no J. Like
2: that that didn't exist. Yeah. I know it's a simple one, but that's like the most important one, right? Exactly. Like you're not, you're not <laughs> even getting your God's name correct. Right. And that's where there's a whole movement of people that are that are uh, titled the sacred namers.
0: Yeah. Not
2: sure if you've seen that.
0: Mm-mm.
2: Yeah, there's a whole movement called the sacred name movement, where like people are like, there's a a group of Christians who are like quasi Judaic, who will say like, you have to, you know, you have to call him Yeshua, you know, like you can't call him Jesus. You know, so it's like there's all these little schisms and variations of Christianity and everybody thinks that they're doing it right. You got the sacred namers, you got the Gnostics, you got the televangelists, the Baptists, yeah. all these different people.
1: And then if you actually take a look into uh, Judaism and the Jewish people, they're not actually who they say they are. The, the, the common Jewish people aren't derived from the 12 tribes anymore. The 12 original yeah. tribes like it, it. I don't know. That, that's a whole nother topic
2: yeah i get into judaism a bit in the book uh, to show that uh just to show how it progressed to where it is today a little bit like for example uh judaism can be broken up into two categories pre-exilic judaism and and post-exilic judaism pre-exilic judaism was when it was barely forming and it was a very loose religion borrowing from the old world Mm -hmm. and it was polytheistic and then they got Held captive by the Babylonians, and during that time period is when they formed, um, well, like the, the modern version of Judaism that we know of today. But during that period, they were mingling with the Babylonian priests, and also then later on mingling with the Zoroastrian priests of the Persian Empire, taking little things together. And then during that time period, canonized the Old Testament, and so they were borrowing from all these different, you know, old world religions and belief systems, and then created you know one of the greatest institutions of religion that we've seen you know since and uh i imagine at some point we'll, we'll probably go through another reformation of some other crazy religion that'll you know claim well the newest be, one uh, that
1: they're trying to blend together is chris chris long Chrislam. which is the blending of christianity and islam
2: i can see that happening man like i was mentioned earlier like there there's a lot of similarities and uh once they start to notice that yeah they're definitely gonna be like hey man we should just stand together in this fight right which is cool i mean it's it's maybe it's not the the you know the mashup we wanted <laughs> right you know i mean but at least they're uniting in one way you know i'd like to see the world unite as just ha- as just as humans right but exactly but man but having to you know now they're gonna you it's kind of like that Kendrick Lamar line I don't know if you're familiar with Kendrick Lamar but when he says if the Bloods and Crips all got along they'd probably gun me gun me down by the end of this song yeah so it's like Christians and and if you go
1: on Crips and Bloods they they weren't started as as a a gang-banging drug-running organization they they started to protect their communities because the police wouldn't do shit for them So they started doing it. And I forget the other, there was another one that they're not around anymore. uh, Was it the guardian angels or something like that in New York city, uh, back in the eighties, seventies and eighties, you know, they'd walk around, you know, policing their own neighbor neighborhoods, you know, without guns and what have you, but, you know, standing up for, for, for their fellow neighbor because nobody else would, would, would do anything. And it's like, yeah. pe- people say, oh, you're a blood, you're a Crip, you're a Latin king, you're MS-13, da da Maybe you should look into the, now, I can't speak for MS-13 or, or Latin kings or whatever. But the Bloods and the Crips, they weren't started as what they have become today.
2: Yeah, man, it's always like that. It's the same with religion. Like, it's always mm-hmm. started from, you know, a pure place, and then it turns into this institution, and then here we are. forcing these weird laws on each other because of it so chrysalon man that's going to be a wild one yeah and
1: then then there's others out there that that say we're in the age of aquarius and now we're going to be in the age of man so
2: i don't know yeah It's (laughs) it's all over the place yeah you got i got a book um from called the new world order from pat robertson one of the famous televangelists it's a cool book. It's got some cool, cool, cool insights. But uh, of course, like, I guess I call them like messianic Christians. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a term for them, but I call them messianic Christians. You know, the Christians who believe that everything's a part of like the end times right. and that we're all just heading towards that. And in that, you know, belief system, they they, they think that the world's going to be deceived into a one world religion. Right. So there's that belief that the new world order is going to, be installed and then there's going to be a, a one world religion um i'm waiting for that that's going to be interesting yeah and very funny to watch exactly <laughs> the the one world religion what's that what's that going to be you know? i don't
1: know if the uh seven day advent adventists believe that but they're they're very end time prophecy type type belief system in in, in their their sect of religion so i don't know it's kind of weird
2: yeah yeah, and there's some people that might think that it's it's all metaphorical, and that to, that the deception might not even really be a religion; it might just be a belief system like science.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I've seen some people break it down that way—that science is is actually the the one world religion. But
1: well, with everything we've seen in the last few years, I I, I could see that that coming very quickly because everyone's trust the science. You got to trust the science, and then yeah. it, it doesn't matter if if you trusted the science, and four months later the science is wrong. You still have to trust the science. It's kind of like that whole Q Psyop. Trust the plan. Well, what's the plan? Plan. Just trust it. Well, what's the plan? <laughs> just trust it.
2: No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, God. It's kind of weird. They're playing on our faith, right? Like Oh, totally. Like humans have an innate, we have this innate thing where we want to believe in something. Mm-hmm. So it's like just trust. They keep using the word trust, which is pretty manipulative. But uh yeah, man. Want do you want to hop back on the book? You got any yeah, questions? Yeah, absolutely. Let's hop back on the book.
1: Okay. Okay. Do you need to share your screen at all for anything?
2: No, you're good. I just okay. got like a presentation that I just kind of moved through here. Okay. On a on a document. I forgot
1: to ask you in the beginning. I I usually try and ask my guests if they they have to, and that way I can at least give the permission. I I don't, I don't know. It's, Zoom's weird. It. You set certain yeah. permissions and they don't happen and others do. And it's like, OK, whatever.
2: No, no, it's all good. Um, yeah, so I think we're like at Judaism. So yeah, Judaism was forming from this old world. And then where it started to get psychedelic was during the Hellenistic period, which I write a little bit about in the book. And the Hellenistic period was when the Greeks took over that area after the Persians. And uh, we start, the Greeks started to mingle with the Jews. And some of them started to actually, you know, have families together. So we started to see the Hellenistic period, which was a mingling of the Jews and the Greeks. Excuse me. And um, some of the early Hellenistic philosophers—some who were strictly Greek, some who were strictly Jewish, or some who were actually had, um, you know, genes from both of them—who who came from a mixture of, of families—started uh, to postulate that uh, the the Greek philosophies came from the Jewish philosophies. And for example, we see Aristobulus, Aristobulus. He was from the second century BC. And I have a quote from here, from him saying that Greek thought originated in ancient Jewish philosophy. Mm. So around this time period, you start to see the Hellenistic philosophers kind of blending their philosophy with the Jewish religions and kind of creating this new schism, this new belief system. And Philo, who was around you know, the, the first century BC, started to also further this thought as well. And then eventually, after we crossed over to the common era, we started to get Christianity, uh, which was also revolving around the Hellenistic areas or the Greek areas. So you have the Western world's philosophies mixing with the old Middle Eastern philosophies, And then Christianity comes and then, bam, you have Gnosticism. Now you have Gnosticism, which is kind of like based on some platonic ideas um, when it comes to reality kind of being a simulation and that we are, we need to get back to the source we need to get back to um, where we really come from and that the God of the Bible or the church is evil and um we see that play out with the early Gnostics in particular the Cathars so the Cathars were a branch of Gnostics from like the 11th to 1200 uh 11 to 12th, uh, hundreds. and uh they believed that the church was satan incarnate if they, they believed that the church was the synagogue of satan um, because of all these blending of psychedelic ideas eventually it kind of like it got to them and and. and through Gnosticism and all these different variations. And uh the Cathars were massacred in a, in a what is known as the Albigensian Crusade by the church. So kind of what I'm getting at is, is you can imagine throughout um, all these hundreds of years, things are just formulating, they're always fluctuating and they're getting a little psychedelic here, a little psychedelic there. And then so what had to happen was the church after it, it heavily institutionalized itself you know after the constantinian dynasty and all that clamped down on everything with the inquisition so the inquisition came and was just like you know what like we got way too many different things going on let's just kill everybody that doesn't agree with our version
1: that's crazy now when you say psychedelic do you mean like literally psychedelic like or just like coming from a point of uh, imagining different things or interpreting things in, a, in an imaginative state
2: um yeah maybe i should find a better word i've been using that word a lot lately but <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean psychedelic as, as far as like substances and stuff like that or altered okay. states of consciousness i just mean psychedelic and like fanatical and kind of just out there okay
1: that makes sense i kind of thought that's where you were coming from but you know just for any of the listeners that might have been confused and kind of had that question i hopefully i answered it for you hey there probably was some psychedelics involved involved. oh absolutely i mean they (laughs) i mean it was heavy heavy use of psychedelics back back in that time and uh you know the the greeks and and even some of the romans were known to go into these these caves with the these gases and you know basically trip balls and get these visions you know what i mean the norse did it with with mushrooms and and you know so i mean (laughs) It, it's not that far of a fetch. And who knows, yeah. may, maybe someone was tripping balls on mushrooms or or some of these volcanic gases. And that's what how religion was created. You know, We don't know, we oh, yeah. don't know at the end
2: of the day. Yeah there's, a, yeah, there's a lot of evidence for that. And some of it was psychedelic, for example, like as Christianity was forming and moving its way, um, Judaism was going its other way. And then we had, like, Kabbalah, right? We had, like, the Kabbalah and that stuff, which was psychedelic. The early, I think it was uh, Simon Bar-Yokai, who was, like, the, one of the first... Uh,
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
2: Miss Judith, Jewish mystics who meditated for like days on end or something and then fell into an altered state of consciousness and then realized that the Bible was like this, the Old Testament was like, was like this, whole coded thing and you had to look at it through the, the, the 10 Sephiroth or 10 or 12 Sephiroth. So that whole thing, So as, as as Christianity was going one way, getting more mystical and through all these variations, Judaism was also going its way and getting more mystical and, and, and literally psychedelic with its mystics, stepping into altered states of conscious and s- teaching a more um, secretive version of Judaism. And uh, again, so all those things were happening and then the Inquisition comes and just like everybody's a witch now and everybody's getting hunted down and killed. And uh, that created a a physical real tension between the people and the church and also helped fuel the Luciferian doctrine because now people are like, well, the church is Satan, the church is evil. Maybe Lucifer was good. Maybe now we're looking at God in the Bible and and how you know vindictive and strict he was, so maybe the church and the God and Bible, maybe they are the evil ones, and then so on and so forth. The Luciferian doctrine was born. And
1: there's something that um, Barack Obama said, and and when he was president, and when he said it at the time, it didn't set right with me. And only because you know you're indoctrinated to believe all Muslims are bad. The Muslim religion is bad. Um, Christianity is the only way, the only light or Judaism and what have you. But he had mentioned, um, how the Knights Templar and the crusades happened in in the name of, of Christianity or, or Catholicism. And he mentioned that. And I was just like, Oh, that look at that, that traitor or whatever to religion. (laughs) But the more I've you know listen to podcasts and listen to people you know such as yourself i think he was kind of on to something because if you look back in history a lot of wars were fought in the name of religion whether it was either persian or you know christianity with the knights templar i mean it might not have been christianity at the time i think it was but um you know catholicism you know judaism you know if we do it in the name of a religion we're good you know it's okay but if we go out and and we do it in a way that, that isn't backed by our religion that's bad and looking back on it now i'm like he he kind of was right and i didn't agree with a lot of what he said or or you know most of his policies or whatever you know but i've kind of given up on government altogether uh, hence government is the virus um uh but yeah when like I said, when he first said that, I was just like, oh, I, I, like I wasn't like angry, angry, but I was just like, what a dick, you know, how could you do that? And, you know, cause America was founded on Judeo Christian beliefs or this and that, but yet yeah. we have religious, it was founded on religious freedoms and this. So, but I think he was actually kind of correct. And, you know, so many wars, you know, throughout history have been fought in the name of a religion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible, man. And that's kind of one of the purposes why I wanted to write this book is to kind of break that, that paradigm and break those chains, because so much blood has been shed in the name of God and religion. And so many conflicts have been had because oh, this person's evil or that's, you know, I, when I wrote the book and, and in the book, I scrutinize both the church and the occult. And I try to make them understand and, and look at themselves Honestly, and say, Look, you're both ridiculous. Right. They're both ridiculous because the church, you know, with the whole thing with God and you got to be with God or you're going to hell. And then the occult with, uh, you know, F the church, there's nothing that we can gain from them, you know, just free will, um, you know, and subjective morality. And it's like, cool. But they're both using the Bible and biblical characters for their dogma and their doctrines like all the classical occultists who, who led with the, the philosophy of Lucifer. It's like, why even use Lucifer? That's a Christian deity. That's a, it's a part of the Christian universe. So it's like, just why not just do away with all of it and just speak as a human being? Like this, this is what we should be doing as people. So I, I, it's one of actually the motives of my book was to help deconstruct the indoctrination that we have put on ourselves through, through religion and through the occult and just look at each other as people and say, look, like we're here on this planet, you know, messing it up. Why don't we slow down? Yeah. Slow down, look around and fix
1: shit. Starting with yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. you know, it, yeah. I do a lot or, you know, inward reflecting and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect by any means. I I, I try to be, you know, nice outgoing you know a a good person but i I have flaws you know i get pissed i get you know you know have hate hatred towards you know people or or whatever you know whether it's your boss or some dude on the road that cuts you off you know just stupid shit and and, but at the end of the day it's like why even waste that energy on on getting mad and I, i i think i've i've done leaps and bounds of where i used to be in my life to to where i am today that you know it's like why get mad it is what it is okay dude dude's in a hurry he cut me off whatever N- nothing bad happened i get to go home to my family you know let yeah. it go <laughs> you know
2: what i mean yeah no it's a great place to be in life man in the center neutral yeah where the zen is you know and, and another part of the conflict too between you know the normal people or you know the everyday people and the elite is that the elite you know claim or see see themselves as having some kind of knowledge or skill set that we don't have they see themselves as above us and this goes all the way back to the priesthood back in the ancient times the priesthood were the ones closest to god you know they knew god's name you know they they had him on speed dial you know it's like so so doing this work of, of just you know declassifying information you know digging into the truth spreading the truth and just demystifying the elite demystifying secret societies and being like look man you're no more special than us like because a lot of this secret society stuff kind of comes from that comes from the occult also adds to the conflict because you have to go through all these regiments and all this weird secret society stuff just for them to tell you you know some random piece of information that you can get on google now Mm-hmm. right so it's like what are we doing here why are we, why are we you know fighting with with all these dogmas and being weird with rituals and stuff let's just man let's just talk face to face and realize that we're people or we've damaged everything enough let's move forward w- without secrecy without conflict and and start to, to build some solutions so my personal um you know effort in that it, it, is uh writing these books writing these books making these documentaries that's my skill set that's my passion so as long as we all tune into our personal abilities personal powers towards that goal I think hopefully we can deconstruct and demystify all of this knowledge that holds us and binds us through institution absolutely
1: and and you keep bringing it back to occult and, and, and religion and what what comes to my mind what better way to com- to 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 have an occult, whether it's the Masons, Rock, of, whatever, Pilgrim Society, wh- whoever, um, disguise it through religion. Because if you if you actually break it down in the way religion is taught to us, you know, go to church, do this, it's not much different than being in an occult. You know, you get you get brainwashed to a a certain degree to where you you have those people out there that are just thumping and pounding and and you bet you have to read this whether it's the book of mormon the bible the quran the the torah you know and they just pound it in your face and it's like whoa but I'll just step back you know you're no you acting like that is no different than a freemason doing it behind closed doors and 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 trying to get other people to come to be a mason you know what i mean and you know that's just one you know a secret society or a cult that that you know like i'm yeah. thinking of off the top of my head but it's just i don't know
2: yeah no you're right man it's, it's all the same it's all dogma mm-hmm. it's all dogma and that's the that's the uh, antagonist of my book is dogma you know, i'm here to deconstruct it and uh to help us along this path of, of information because some people too and it's something that i dealt with you know they they uh they're fearful they're fearful and they won't grow as as people as intellectual people because of whatever particular religion they're in you know they'll stop at certain points like i have friends who be like oh man like that's like satanic stuff you're reading man i'm not going to get into that or whatever and i'm like dude it's not satanic it's just mm-hmm. information right you know so i'm trying to help demystify that so that my people, our people, can can grow and learn real history, real facts, without being scared of the truth. Because how can you fight that which you do not know?
1: Exactly, you have to know your enemy. Um, whether you you call him Satan or you just call him Bob, that that pissed you off. You know what I mean? Know your enemy. Uh, we do it all the time. You know, with with the militaries around the world. You know you have to know your enemy's next step or know him better, you know, and, and that even goes down to something as simple as left versus right in, in American politics or politics around the world. It's like, okay, you have the people that are on the left. Don't want to pay attention to any, anything that's said on the right and vice versa. And it's like, dude, if you guys would just sit down at the end of the fucking day and, and talk and realize that you're two wings to one fucking bird trying to get something done. How about get the right thing done? You know, fuck your, fuck your gold line pockets and everything else. Like let's, you know, love, love your, your fellow neighbor. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to get along with people. It it, it doesn't matter. Skin color. You can find something in common with anybody you meet. Anybody.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, I always like to say, like, there's there's no left administration. There's no right administration. There's just the administration. Mm -hmm. And excuse my language, but fuck the administration. Exactly.
1: (laughs) You you (laughs) don't have to apologize. This is a free speech podcast, man. (laughs) I'm all about free speech. I'm a, I'm a veteran. So you know, I, I hold the Constitution pretty near and dear to my heart. Um, But you know, even hey, you know, was that written perfectly? you know i sometimes i look at it and i'm like yeah i don't know you know what i mean but you know there, yeah. there, there's certain there's certain ones that that you know first amendment second amendment you know all the way down you need 13th amendment you know that they're all important and if we just live by a basic guideline like that you know it's like come on you know love your neighbor yeah <laughs> get along you plant a fucking garden with your neighbor You'd be surprised going out and picking weeds and planting flower or vegetables and what have you. The conversations that you could probably have and realize, oh, shit, why didn't we do this fucking years ago instead of sitting there yelling at each other across our fences? You know what I mean? It's like, come yeah. on,
2: come on, people. Yeah, we got to do it together, man. We got to do it together. And uh, speaking of gardens, uh, we can transition into the Garden of Eden.
1: Absolutely. Let's do it.
2: Yes. So, so in the book, I'm moving through, you know, all these different conflicts and different mistranslations. And then in chapter three out of six, I reveal who Lucifer is. And it's no real mystery. Um, of course, uh, Lucifer. Well, before I reveal who it is, let me kind of get there so that we can understand how how it is. So, so in the occult, Lucifer is always coupled with the the, the, the deity in the Garden of Eden story. Right? They say that, oh, Lucifer you know, risked it all to, to give us knowledge in the Garden of Eden. And that's really when he fell because he, he disobeyed God at that point. And the occult I wrote about that all the time. And, and for example, Lovatsky um, has this, uh, this uh, talk that she gave or this presentation known as uh, the Timeless Kabiri, where she basically says that in some far Atlantean period, there were you know, light beings and that these light beings left their abode to help humanity grow in their conscious slumber. And that's really where the Luciferian story um, it comes from, is from the Atlantean period. So the occultists, they're, they're always talking about this, this golden age of Atlantis a long, long ago in our, in our past. And that we were these elevated beings and that we were taught by the light angels, and that they were perverted and demonized later, like Lucifer was into Satan, and looked down upon by the institutions of the world. Um, However, I mean as fanciful as that philosophy is when we actually look at the garden of Eden story academically, what we find isn't quite as what they were saying but similar to it. Now. Uh, For those who may not know, the, the Bible, primarily Genesis, is sourced from the Sumerian tales. When we uncovered the Sumerians in the 1800s, we started to decode and decipher a lot of their writings, and it became apparent then, as it is now, that the Sumerians were the source material for a lot of the early books of the Bible. For example, there's a Sumerian version of the Noah story. He's not known as Noah in this story, but he's known as Atrahasis. It's the same story. A flood is coming to destroy mankind and one man and his family get told about it and get saved in a boat. But the difference is it's not one God in this story, it's two gods. And now we understand why in the but the Bible's version, God is is so capricious in his attitudes where he wants to kill mankind, but then he saves one person and his family. The reason there's that change of attitude in the Bible is because it was sourced from the Sumerian version where there's two deities who are in conflict, the brothers Enki and Mm Enlil. Enlil was uh, one of the, Enki and Enlil were both um, high-ranking deities in the Sumerian pantheon of things, and they were brothers. Enlil is always remembered as the militant um, vindictive one. And then Enki is always remembered as the God of knowledge and wisdom and more sympathetic towards mankind. And in this, the flood story they're combating, en- Enlil is saying, we're gonna destroy the humans. Enki agrees, but goes behind the back of en- Enlil and warns Atrahasis about this and saves him and his family. Thus humanity um, you know, is preserved and in the garden of eden story although there's no uh, direct equivalent in the sumerian tales there are some tales that are similar to it which uh, assyriologists have said are the source for the garden of eden story but nonetheless we taking that into consideration as far as the sumerians being the source of a lot of the the biblical stories and enki and enlil kind of being that conflict and that is that has been summarized as one god we can assume that in the garden of eden story enlil plays the part of Yahweh in the old Testament, who places Adam and Eve in the garden and says, all right, do your thing, but just don't touch that thing. And then Enki, uh, being the, you know, sympathetic, clever one who says, well, like, you know, you you can go ahead and touch that thing. It's going to have some consequences, but not, it's not going to kill you. And, uh, the reason why we would speculate that is because Enki, um, is is symbolized by a serpent he was symbolized by a serpent in ancient times and was always known as the god of wisdom and uh i always wondered
1: i always wondered where they got the snake from
2: yeah well in the hebrew where where we would see serpent the serpent in the garden, garden of eden we would see the word nakash nakash is a playful word most of the hebrew words used in the bible were used deliberately because of their playfulness, their, their, uh, you know, transposable meanings. And the word nakash um, not only means serpent, but it can also mean wise one or diviner. And there's an equivalent to that in Sumerian. The Sumerians had a word by the name ushumgal. And ushumgal literally means the same thing. It means great serpent or wise serpent. And they would call their deities by this. And Enki in particular was an Ushunga. Gaul. And um, I, hear, I have a quote here from, from uh, Sir Henry Rawlinson, who was considered the father of Assyriology, the study of Sumer and so on, mm-hmm. saying of Enki that he functions as the source of all knowledge and science, and he is figured by the great serpent, which occupies a place among the symbols of the gods. So time and time again, all these early scholars of Assyriology coupled Enki with wisdom and the serpent. And Enlil and is always viewed as this militant, vindictive God. So of course, we can assume in the Garden of Eden story again, and Enlil and is Yahweh, who doesn't want us to progress in, in our consciousness because he's annoyed that we were created to begin with. And there, there are equivalences to that in Sumerian tales. But Enki, who was actually the engineer scientist who created humanity in the Sumerian tales that we can read now physically, had sympathy for us and in his creations. So time and time again, would stop by and, and, and update us with knowledge and help us in our conscious um, upbringing. So in the book, um, I reveal that Lucifer, if there ever was one, was nonetheless Enki.
1: Makes sense. Um, where does the Epic of Gilgamesh fit f- fit in? Because I know the Epic of Gilgamesh was written before the, the the Noah flood story, and I'm thinking after the Sumerian story somewhere. If I'm not mistaken, I might have that wrong.
2: Yeah, I don't have the dates off the top of my head, but um, I do know that the, that Gilgamesh is considered the oldest epic right known to man not the oldest writing per se but the oldest epic the oldest okay. story um but what i can say is that in the gilgamesh story when, when he, he's a king right he's a king and he's a very obnoxious king and people are kind of bummed out about how obnoxious he is he's taking everybody's wives and their money and stuff <coughs> excuse me so the gods decide to um, fashion a competitor to kind of like level him out and then him and that competitor that fashioned being which some have said it was like an ai and stuff whatever but um, they become friends actually him and enki do and they go off on this cool journey um, he, he leaves the kingdom and he's like yo my bad you guys can have your wife's back and stuff and they, <laughs> they take off on this cool journey and the journey is for him to um, reach his ancestors because he finds out in the story that he's part god so he's okay. like, well, if I'm part God, then I deserve immortality. So he, him and his homie go out to find his ancestors so that he can demand immortality. And at the end of the story, you find out that, that one of his ancestors, I'm not sure what, if it's his grandfather, great grandfather, I don't know where this person lies in his lineage, but it's one of his ancestors. And you find out that that ancestor he speaks to is actually the Noah character. Oh,
1: so, Okay. All
2: right. yeah it, 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 and he in gilgamesh that noah character would he's also he's known as Atrahasis mm-hmm. um and also known as ziusudra i believe ziusudra is the sumerian one and then Atrahasis was the later uh Akkadian version or, or right. one of the later versions so but but uh nonetheless so he speaks to this ancestor who was uh the noah character and in the story he's already an old man he's already an old man right. Aging and uh, he basically laughs at his you know descendant Gilgamesh and he says look man you're just a human and because you're human your days are numbered so therefore enjoy it and um, he says eat drink and be merry for the days of man are numbered. Mm. So it's, uh, it's a very beautiful tech uh, tale I actually really like it and um, so as far as where it fits in the story Gilgamesh is much much later than the flood story okay
1: because i I was always under the assumption people i don't know there was documentaries or or people claiming to be scholars saying oh noah's flood was was based off the epic of gilgamesh and this and that and uh, it's kind of why i asked the question because uh, lately i'm i'm kind of getting a like like how you just you know describe it to me a, a different story that it actually came after noah and what have you but going back to the garden of eden um with anki and enlil where where does lilith come into play because she's not talked about a lot it's always adam and eve and you bring up lilith to to a christian they're like she never existed you know what i mean like
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's something i hear hear about a lot i haven't studied it extensively another thing on my long list of things to study but uh, from my understanding, Lilith, Lilith stems from the Sumerian Inanna, and Inanna um, is also the, the goddess Astarte, the uh, goddess Ishtar, the goddess Aphrodite, and Venus, and the it, and was actually one of the the attributes that Lucifer was later formed out of. So in a weird meadow way, um, Lilith is Lucifer in a weird way, but... Uh, But uh, yeah, so Lilith was Inanna. And Inanna in the Sumerian tales, she's, I believe, the granddaughter of the head of the Sumerian gods known as the Anunnaki. Mm -hmm. And Inanna in the Sumerian tales was a very warlike goddess. She's always remembered as being busty and lustful. Like a lot of figurines of her always, she always has like a big butt and, you know, big chest. So she's always remembered as like this sexy um, character, but also very uh ferocious and warlike, and, and and commanded armies and stuff like that. But was a granddaughter of the of the head of the Anunnaki, and was always demanding like power and land and in the Sumerian tales. So a lot of that probably played a part as to why she would later be known as Lilith, the demon.
1: Uh, yeah, because there's certain there's certain stories out there that that lucifer uh tempted eve with uh with the with the forbidden fruit because god killed lilith and and then he made eve in the exact image of lilith and 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 lucifer was supposedly so in love with lilith you know you know she she was the most beautiful thing and it kind of fits into how, how you were saying that you know you know she was busty you know big booty you know just the perfect woman what have you um and then but I I I don't know. Like, it's like, what do you believe? You know what I mean? At the yeah. end of the day, it's like it...
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in my honest opinion, we're dealing with a lot of just myth and a lot of mistranslation of myth, hmm. and then just a lot of outright fantasy. You know, a lot of of the early church fathers or even like mystics of, of before Judaism just literally wrote like their versions of things. Uh, like for example, Dante Alighieri's Inferno was was uh, a fictional piece. Right. He wrote it actually as a fictional piece uh, to kind of like uh, illustrate what he was going through in his own life at that time because he was being exiled by the church and the church was trying to take over, you know, his hometown and all of this stuff. So he wrote the Inferno as like you know this this fictional piece, but some people took it as like fact yeah. because it's one of he he wrote one of the most detailed descriptions of hell. So the early church kind of like took that as like fact, like oh, this is what hell must be like. You know, and, and so. it's still it's
1: still talked about in in churches today. Like, you know, you have the seven levels of hell, and each level has their own, you know, ruler and, and this and that. And it's just like you realize that yeah. was not a true story, right? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I know. So we're just we're dealing with, the again, this human error, man, we we love to tell stories, we love to try to explain the complexities of life, you know, but, uh, but there are some things that I think are objective truths, when we look at it. And and for me, I think everything kind of goes back to the Sumerians. Uh, I, I like the way I organize things in my mind is it all has to go to the source everything that comes after the source is, is just telephone, you know, it's speculation. Right. So, um, so, so when we look to, at the Sumerians, yeah.
1: So going back to Eden with, with Enki uh, and Enlil, and we'll we'll pick it right back up there um, with, with the yeah. Sumerians and what have you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So Enki and Enlil. So, um, and yeah, I mean, there never was a Lucifer in the Bible. However, when we take all the different attributes and, and mythologies that were built around Lucifer, um, we can see that there was a Lucifer-like character in our past, which was Enki. And then when we study the Sumerians and what they have to tell us, they say that uh, we were deliberately created by these gods, the Anunnaki, some time ago, far, far in, in our past. And there are some interesting pieces of of evidence that can kind of uh, corroborate that, you know, at least speculatively, um, if that's a word. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, for example, like we we still don't know how we went from Neanderthal or Caveman to Homo sapien. We still don't we still haven't found that jump, how that happened and, and, and why it happened so damn quickly in the, in the huge span I of, have a theory. of our hominids.
1: I think that I think your uh, your Neanderthal is modern day Sasquatch.
2: Yeah. Yeah, some people have have uh, thought that. That that could be true, man. Yeah, I,
1: I mean, I'm just throwing it. I I don't have any scientific proof <laughs> to back it up, but you know, it you you have all these sightings, uh, supposed Sasquatch and all around on every continent except for Antarctica, and, and you know, these giant giant beings, and maybe you know, maybe maybe it's just Neanderthal went a different way, and we were there at the same time, and we just happened to go a different way. I don't know.
2: Yeah. He's like, they went to the forest. So like, I'm going to go to the forest. And we're like, all right, well, we're going to go build cities, man. Yeah. You know, have yeah fun. out, buddy. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is in the Sumerian text, when Enki and Ninma, um, uh, his half sister, who also helped create us, when they were trying to create us, they accidentally created mutated beings because they didn't get it right right away. They they it took them a while, and some some maybe some of these cre- these uh weird mutated beings ended up being like big bigfoot like characters or something, you know, but uh but yeah I think there's some some truth to these Sumerian tales, and when we look at you know our actual history, we don't know how we went from Neanderthal to Homo sapiens, and and uh, apparently there was a cataclysm on Earth, you know all all the ancients tell us about this flood and uh it's apparent in the geology you know as graham hancock and and, uh randall carlson have pointed out you know there's when you study the environments and the geology of certain areas apparently there were cataclysms in our past so it seems like the occultists were their intuition was correct that there was some atlantean period when the gods were here but then things went to hell and shit, and then a cataclysm happened and then after the cataclysm they painstakingly tried to restart civilization, and when they did that, they decoded information or knowledge into priesthoods, and and then those priesthoods became the first secret societies, and then it all comes down to today, where we're stuck in a situation where the elite or the one percent are the supposed, you know, descendants of these uh, priesthoods who hold the secret knowledge of our past and, and so on.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like how you have the uh <clears throat> the 12 tribes of uh uh Judea and yet if if you cross that over into occult things, you have 13 bloodlines. So maybe there was 13 tribes at once, maybe or maybe there was only 12 bloodlines and then they added one you, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. you, you get that that so close correlation where Okay, well, why are we playing with numbers so close that you have so many tribes and now so many bloodlines? And then, you know, the elite are all part of these bloodlines. And then uh, I'm kind of going to bring this back into okay, if God did put Adam and Eve here in a garden, why would he promote incest? And let, you know what I mean? That never made sense to me ever that, you know, okay, w- we all come back to two people and it's like, um, I'm pretty sure even back then, if Adam and Eve had kids and then their kids had sex and had kids, they'd be fucking retarded. You know what I mean? Like it, I, that never made sense Explains
2: to me. the world today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's, it's like I, that never, ever made sense to me.
2: Yeah. And there's a whole school of thought that uh, if you read the, the, the opening verses of the Bible or something... I don't know word for word, but there's a whole school of thought that when you read it and translate it properly, that God never says that he's going to create the earth, he said he's going to replenish the earth, meaning that there was already a civilization here before that had been wiped out, and he was replenishing it. he was re he was trying to he was taking a second chance at civilization. That makes so a little more
1: sense. Especially yeah, when, when it comes to incest and stuff, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, you know, you, yeah, you have the church, and it's like, why, why are you promoting incest? Like,
2: yeah, there's there's a lot of mysteries and different ways to look at the Bible and all these different schools of thought. Um, and that one's an interesting one. I know Jordan Maxwell talks about that a lot. How God was replenishing the earth, and that's why He tells Adam and Eve, like, populate, like, repopulate the earth, like, please, like, let's fill this thing up again. Let's get it going. And then you have like the occult talking about the Atlantean period. And then you have actual um, scholars out here telling us that, yeah, there was cataclysms and we're seeing all these strange structures that don't make sense, like the pyramids, Gobekli Tepe and all these things. And so it seems like we're missing something There's something. We're not quite getting about our past. We still don't know how we went from the end of thought almost sapien. And one other aspect to this, what I get into the book is the, uh, the book of Enoch and the fallen angels. Now, the Book of Enoch used to be canonical in the first couple centuries uh, BC, um, so much so that uh, the Book of Jude quotes it directly. And a lot of Jesus' sayings um, are kind of references to the Book of Enoch. But then later on, during the Council of Nicaea era, the Constantinian era, it was taken out and it was excluded from being taught in the church. And it was actually deemed heretical and, and banned from being taught in some in some areas and uh so some people have speculated it's because of it talks about fallen angels being physical beings in the book of Enoch, the fallen angels are detailed and described and even named in some cases and but they're always described as as actual beings akin well, to in, us
1: just in genesis 6 uh they mention the nephilim and yes you know i had gary wayne on blew my mind had a headache afterwards in a <laughs> good way um But it's like, why would you leave this out? And and then I'm I'm gonna kind of take it back to astro theology and and what have you first. Just a quick second, and then I'll let you get back on topic. Um, you know there was twelve disciples, and if you look at the Last Supper, one is a woman. And if 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 these twelve disciples actually did represent, um, you know, astrology symbols, well, then why was uh, you know, Mary's book left out of the bible because maybe mary portrayed um uh oh man i was gonna say virgo but uh, yeah yeah it's virgo the you know the virgin in the sky and and, and what have you and, but you know y- you took out her book you took out thomas's book you took out you know enoch's book and and so many more and it's like well why what are you hiding why, yeah. why can't we know this
2: yeah that, that's interesting it's something i'm going to have to get into because uh, there's there's a lot of pieces missing man a lot of pieces missing and the book of Enoch is definitely one of them and specifically because it talks about fallen angels being physical beings and that they interacted and mated with us mm-hmm. creating an offspring which is uh, the shortened uh, version of the genesis six verses with the sons of god and the nephilim actually one of the The most extensive pieces done on the book of Enoch was uh, done by a scholar named um, J.T. Millick in the 70s. He wrote a piece on the book of Enoch which is regarded like the most extensive scholarly conclusion on it and he states contrary to what the church tries to tell us is the book of Enoch was was written before the bible was put together so before the books of the bible i mean the oldest version of enoch that we have is i think from like isn't that old but the contents in it he says the contents and the way it was written it is obvious to him that it is it is a story that precedes the bible and that the small few verses in genesis 6 are just a summarization of the book of enoch mm. and uh the church wanted to do away with it and i think i mean I think it's it's somewhat of a deliberate cover up of our ancient past involving the Anunnaki and these deities that may or may not have genetically engineered the Homo sapien.
1: Right. Yeah. Just what, like you said in the very beginning, you know, the church is the control. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 you know, control through thought and 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 try to make your your life live a certain way. You know, it, it just. Uh, all polluted. It's all polluted. But back to uh, back to what you were going on with, uh, you know, Enoch and, and what have you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, the book of Enoch, it's, it's, it sheds a lot of light on some interesting things. And if we were just to, if we were just to read the Bible for face value, I mean, it's got a lot of good spiritual philosophy, you know, you can definitely find some good there. But if you're trying to find the truth about who we are, who the church really is, who the the leaders of our world really are, and where we come from, you got to look outside of it. It's a good starting point, but as we've kind of alluded to in this conversation, there are so many little mysteries and so many different things you got to look at, and it all has to do with the original translation. And if you're not reading it from the original translation and its original context, you're going to miss out on a lot of things and you're going to start speculating. So, for us to get to that source and that truth, we gotta look beyond that and do some real, real studying. Oh, absolutely. So, uh,
1: where else do you want to take us um in your in your journey on this book?
2: I mean, that's pretty much it for the book. Um, unless you had any questions.
1: Oh, we can talk for for a little while. Uh <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if I have questions, but I can go on some rants and and what have you because it's like I've been saying over and over and over again, you know, th- through our 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 chat to you know today, and it's like you know everything that they put in in the Bible and organized religion and everything else is just to con to control us. And then you can bump that up to when you know Hitler came around and they they found fluoride and they realized fluoride dumbs us down even more, and 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 so many different things and then you had the whole pandemic and it, it's always all about control and and i honestly personally think it oh it did start with religion because you know we celebrate saint patrick's day every year oh he he went to ireland and stomped out all the snakes and rid the island of snakes i learned never really never had snakes the snakes were the pagans and and the uh um the uh help me out here the 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 Druids. druids and that that's what he was getting rid of on behalf of the catholic church and you know they they took you know went into um the norse you know what people call vikings um land and they would set up their own um sacred places on top of their sacred places and and expect them not to get pissed off and then when they got pissed off they claimed victim and it's like you know
2: none of it makes sense to me anymore none of it yeah yeah it's interesting like i always wonder how how long are, are christianity and islam and judaism going to last i mean they've been making a great run you know thousands of years but everything changes you know so mm-hmm. eventually all these systems are going to change and they're going to be stomped over with something new, what it is. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, you know, yep, but we're progressing towards a technocratic world. So I imagine things are going to move that way. And, but yeah, time and time again, they trying to control the narrative, you know, like I always like to say like church is specifically designed not to teach you the Bible you know, it reads it to you in a run around way. Yeah, you know, you you sit there for hours going over one little passage, instead of actually trying to get into the truth of what it's telling you, the school systems are built the same way. They present themselves as as educational centers, but they specifically designed so that you only learn a certain set of things. And that you don't pay attention to all these other things, those 18 years of your life that you're going there right and it's the same with everything else everything is presenting itself as this but it's a paradox because it's kind of like doing the opposite of what it's saying it is
1: always and just to keep us in in line or control and i think that's why um i I said this on a previous episode i think that's why this whole pandemic was actually a good thing in a way because it, it backfired in their face um And, and it woke some people up to okay, you're at home, you have nothing else to do. You've, you've heard these things, you know, throughout your life, people started researching, people started looking into, you know, secret societies, you know, whether Q, you know, Q, Q had its purpose for a minute. You know what I mean? It it did wake people up to to some bad things and what have you, but it, it was never designed to do what they thought it was supposed to do. And then people started looking into more natural healing and, and, and getting, getting healthy and, and, you know, getting off big pharma medicine and, and everything else. And they don't know what to do with this now because, you know, they keep mask mandate, mask mandate, get your vax, get your vax. But you see everybody fucking dying. You, You see everybody, young people having heart attacks. And and we know it says right on the back of the box, you know, this mask will not protect you from, you know, this, this virus or whatever the case may be, uh, but people still wear it. And it's like, come on, people. Th- w- where did you lose your independent thought? Where did you lose thinking for yourself?
2: Oh, yeah. And uh, we can kind of argue that maybe we never really had it. Yeah, true. Maybe we never really had it, you know, we've kind of. I mean if we really read the ancient stories I and mean, sadly we were created to be subjects to the gods and in that sense i kind of can kind of understand the luciferian um, beliefs not that i am a luciferian but i understand the the enlightenment beliefs the beliefs of the intellectual periods where it's like we need to break away from the church which at that time was the government you know the church was the institution so I can understand this need for us as as humans to, to rise in our intellectualness because we really were created to be slaves we were created to be subjects and that's why we're so easily controlled and but that that's also why we need to step up and be Uh, and do the work to to get out of this vibration we've been in for so long and get out of this consciousness that we've been in for so long and prove to ourselves and to our our elder deity brothers and sisters you know the gods prove to them and also prove to the creator of all that you know we are divine and we are more than just these subjugated slaves and that we're not going to just let these elite you know play us for fools
1: right and that goes into a an older story. I don't know if it was the Anunnaki or a a different, different
2: beings that that came here and created us and uh, hang on. Sorry everybody for the dead airspace, but, uh, apparently there
1: was ambulances flying by my house and I didn't want the the sirens to, to kick in. Um, but any, anyway, uh, there goes another one. Anyway, whatever, fuck it. Um, but, uh, they created us and then they realized that like we were, we were thinking for ourselves or, or, or something. I I forget how the story goes, you know, and, and, or they created one race and, and then, then that, then they created us because we were more docile and and what have you um i don't know if you've ever heard any any of that theory or or what but
2: it's, yeah i've heard similar things i know it's interesting in the bible it's right there in the bible after uh adam and eve eat of the forbidden fruit god says and now you know i'm paraphrasing but he says and now a man has become like one of us knowing good and evil well first of all who is us Right. You know, and second of all, it's like, what's wrong with knowing about good and evil? It's like, so, so I understand where the occult stand with this whole Luciferian thing where, you know, it's up to us. It's our responsibility as humans to lead with, with, uh, with real morality and real morality comes from knowing good and evil. If you just, if you just do good because you're told to do good, you're not really a good person, you know, that's how. you have to so, do it
1: on your own, not because you're told, yeah. you know what I mean? It goes back to when I said, I never really read many books because I was told to read books. You know, if I did it on my own, it would have been a completely different experience and, and an outcome. And I'll take it to a, a, a different thing. I, I I heard, um, the actual opening passage, um, when it said God created the heavens and the earth, um. They're supposedly the actual translation is the gods created the heavens and the earth did you find any yeah. of that in your your research
2: oh absolutely it's a huge part of uh my research and what set me off in my journey actually i have for example i have uh, elohim tatted on my arm right here in hebrew nice. and uh the reason being is that was like so impactful when i came across that back in the day so um when, in Genesis 1 for example, <clears throat> where we would see in the English, um, and it would say, and, and uh, sorry, what was it, and God created man in his image and his likeness. But it really the, the in the Hebrew the word Elohim is used. And, and uh, well, sorry, so in the English we would see, and God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness in Genesis one twenty six, you would see that in the English. You see us, you would see the word us. But in the Hebrew, you would see that Elohim said, "Let us make man in our image in our likeness." So when they translated it to the English, they cl- they kept the plural the plural words us and so on, but they translated Elohim to God because they didn't understand Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. And again, the reason why is because Genesis and the early books of the Bible were, um, were sourced from the Sumerian tales about the Anunnaki. And when we read the Sumerian tales, we see that Enki and Ninma um, with a couple other helpers fashioned the, the human being. So when they're saying, let us make man in our image after our likeness, we're talking about these gods creating us. And as Zechariah Sitchin, the, the uh, famous author who brought on Naki to us through his uh, works in the '70s and so on, basically theorized that uh, this was done through a genetic process, and that when the word, the Hebrew word, you know, likeness and image, are actually words that can be translated to like DNA, because what the image of somebody, right, the likeness of somebody is their DNA. Right. You get the likeness of your father, your dad, your mother through their DNA. So this, what is being stated to us is that. This was a genetic process, a scientific process that these beings were undertaking.
1: Mm. Yeah, that, man, <laughs> it, it blows you away. And, and for people that are, are set in their belief, you know, I, I, I can talk to my wife about a little bit of these things, but it, it, I'll scare her and, and, and <laughs> I'll look at her and I'll just be like, you're scared because it, it's challenging everything that you, you've been taught your whole life. And you were taught that for a reason to keep you in control and to, to, to live a certain way or, or act a certain way and, you know, go to your nine to five, do this, do that, whatever. And we were driving the one time and, and and she go you know, she said it scares you. And I told her that, and I was just like, you know, just open your mind, just, just accept a different viewpoint of something you know whether you know you break it back down politics, whether it's left right or if it's you know whatever the case may be just just look at it see where they're coming from whether it's your name like like i said before whether it's your neighbor whether it's whoever i don't i don't care if you're 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 a race of fucking barneys at trying to spread love around the world um okay, I'll see where you're coming from. I think you're kind of weird and, and, and dinosaur looking, but Hey, what do you have to offer? What's your belief system? Maybe we have something in common, but at the end of the day, we will have something in common and, and you can build a relationship off that, you know, not everybody has to agree on every single thought process from, from, from each other, you know? And I I've told my wife that it's like, you know, we didn't get married because we thought exactly alike. We got married because we were opposites and we attracted. And and I feed off your energy. You feed off mine. You have certain ways you think. I have certain ways I think. And and I help you. You help me. And that's how human nature should be. You know, I might have something. Yeah. You know, you 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 could text me and be like, "Hey, I'm having this problem," and I'll be like, "Hey, you know, da 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 da." da say something. You'd be like, "Oh, I never thought of it that way." And, you know, thank you, you know, thank you. Uh, uh, That meant a lot or whatever, or vice versa. I could, you know, same thing. So it's like, just, yeah.
2: uh, Yeah. And I've gone through those paradigm shifts myself after researching things. There was times in my life where I was going through this research and breaking out of my, you know, Christian upbringing where I kind of got a little fearful too and had to stop reading, stop researching for a little bit just to clear my mind and work through what I was learning. But eventually realized it was worth it to push through those time periods i mean definitely take the time to sit back and, and take a break from researching if you feel the need to right but um <clears throat> this this is why i do this work is to deconstruct that fear because the interesting thing about it right um i still i still have a connection with christ you know right. contrary to what many people might believe but uh, that's just my personal stuff you know that's my personal thing but what's interesting is like christians right like like the average christian they they hold themselves up to a pedestal but people like us you know we're more christian than them because uh, I, I wouldn't say we're more christian than them but we're, we're more studious christians than them because i don't just stop at the bible i dig deep and deep deep i i, I dig deep into humanity's history i mean mm-hmm. we are god's people this is god's world this is god's history right so f- For us to dig into that history is doing respect to everything that's come before us It's doing respect to the glory of what got us here. So researching isn't evil researching and looking into things can be difficult can be scary, but you're doing yourself a favor, because you can only fear what you don't know. But once you start to know things, the fear starts to go away and now you have confidence because you know so looking. Into the Bible and researching its true history is the best thing you can do as a Christian. It's the best thing you can do because you'll actually learn the history of your religion. You will learn the history of your people. You'll learn the history of humanity, and it'll actually bring you closer to God. It'll bring you closer to Source, to Creator, because you'll have a profound revelation, a profound sense of of respect and inspiration for just how special. We are just how special this place in this life really is.
1: Absolutely. Uh, even when I, I started questioning things in, in my own personal life, I freaked my wife out. You know, she goes, oh, you don't even believe in God anymore. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. I believe in a creator. I believe in a higher being. There is someone out there that, that created us. There has to be. I said, just because I don't buy the whole, you know, the the Bible, Jesus story, as it's been presented to us now doesn't mean I don't believe in a Christ consciousness or a God consciousness or a higher being consciousness that, that, that was put us here. And, and we're supposed to do, you know, something in our life to, to better, to better things. And people at the end of the day just need, just need to realize, Hey, do do one little thing to, to better. You know, I, I have a pet peeve when I go to the grocery store, I, I either a return my cart to the cart thingy out in the parking lot, but usually I park close enough that I can park, that I can take my cart and go put it back up right by the store. That way, none of the the volunteers that work there or, or employees that work there have to go out in, in hot weather, cold weather, rainy weather, snowy weather, whatever to fetch these carts. You know, it's just one little small part. I, I try to do to, to, to be, you know, helpful, you know, and kind and, and, and what have you. And there's some people be like, well, you're still an asshole. Yeah. I could be still an asshole, but you know, just take small steps, take small steps. You know, once you, you know, when we were toddlers and taking small steps, look, now you're an adult, you can fucking run, you
2: know, it's where it starts. And, and that's God's work right there, man. That's God's work. Exactly. But hey man, I can go on for hours on this thing. But uh
1: yeah, let's wrap it up there. Uh let, let people know again where they can find your book, where they can find you, and uh anything else you want to want to plug. And it was a man, it was an honor talking to you. I've I've been looking forward to this for, for quite some time hearing you on, on different podcasts and what have you and I was like man I cannot wait to talk to him.
2: <laughs> appreciate that uh, this was a fun one for sure uh, but again you can find me uh, on instagram esoteric eddie youtube esoteric eddie tv and bit at esoteric eddie um, you can buy the new book the lucifer mystery revealed on amazon or reach out to me on instagram if you'd like a copy directly from me um, but other than that uh thanks for having me on and and uh this was a uh, this was fun
1: Yeah. Thank you. Which is a better way to, to actually get the book? What, what helps you, you the most Amazon or go directly through
2: you? Um, honestly, it doesn't make much of a difference to me. Um, I just, whatever's better for, for you, you know, whatever's better for the people, whatever's easier for you. So I know some people don't want to support Amazon. So if you feel that way, you can hit me up, but, uh, either way it's cool with me, whatever's better for the people.
1: Okay. And, uh, yeah, I'll be putting all that in the, the show notes and, uh, Thank you again. And remember, everybody, think for yourself.